0: And as our kids are leaving, I do want to just give two announcements before I start my message. Number one is, um, as Brent mentioned, the Discovering Emmanuel class starts next Sunday. This is a seven-week class for anybody that's interested in who we are as a church. What do we believe? What's our doctrine? What's our belief system? How are we structured? Um, So I would really like for, if you're interested in that, to sign up for it. There's a sign-up out on the connection table so that we can get enough materials for that. Also, just to let you know where we're going next week, uh, we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, the new sermon series will take us, I kind of figured it out, it's going to take 42 weeks to do it. We're going to be in it for a long time. But it's a, it's a book of the Bible I haven't preached yet here at Emmanuel. but I think it's a timely book. Uh, we're going to go through the book of Acts, an adventure in Acts. And so it's a long book, it's an exciting book, there's a lot of stuff in there, and so next week we're going to start this adventure Through the book of Acts. So come prepared next week to to begin that. I did an internet search this last week to find out which companies ranked the best in customer service. And after searching a lot of different websites, it was very apparent which company was number one. Does anybody want to take a guess on the number one company? Chick fil A? I wish. If you're listening out there, bring it to Sterling, but that's all right. <laughs> Love Chick-fil-A. I ate there the other day on the way to Denver. No, the number one company is Apple computers. Apple. You know, Steve Jobs has created an empire of iPods and iPads and anything else that starts with I. And uh, I was watching Fox News a couple weeks ago, and I found out that Apple has more assets than our national government does, which is kind of scary. Um, other leaders in this area of best customer service, Amazon.com, southwest airlines google papa john's and hilton hotels now why do i talk about customer service for many years when i was in college and when i was first married i had the dubious honor of being the customer service manager at a store which meant that i got to deal with all the irate customers that had issues and we were going out of business so we were going through a time of what they call liquidation And so all customer service went out the window. And so we were told by the higher-ups all sales are final. No returns, no exchanges, no questions. And so just be mean to people because we're going out of business. Well, I felt bad about that because all of these people I've built relationships over the years, I basically had to just be firm with them and say, no, we can't return your merchandise. And there's, there's two wonderful stories that um, I, I, I dream about and, and relive in those days of, of retail. Actually, two horror stories. I'll tell you about the first one. The first one was when I was threatened with a bathroom scale by a French man. And so this French man comes and says, I want to return the bathroom scale. And I looked at the bathroom scale and there was a bunch of dog hair on it. It looked like it had been used for about five years. And I said, no, you can't return this. And he he almost hit me over the head with the bathroom scale. But there was a counter there blocking his path. The other scary story was I got in an argument with some Hell's Angels bikers who wanted to beat me up in the parking lot after I got off my shift because I would not lower the price on this television. So two horror stories about retail. And those of you that work in retail know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to the joys of working in retail customer service. Now, why do I bring up the issue of customer service? Why do I bring up the issue of serving one another? I hope by now, through this journey of looking at the implications of the gospel, we've come to the conclusion that the gospel is is central to everything that we do in our lives, in our church, in our families. The gospel is to be central. The gospel is not only for our salvation, yes it is for our initial salvation, but the gospel is also for our growth. The gospel creates a community called the church and in this community called the church, the gospel calls us to practice the biblical one anothers. We've been looking at that over the past two weeks. The love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, Bear the burdens of one another. Forgive one another. Encourage, support, keep on loving one another. That's the call of the gospel. And my prayer is that as a church, God would create this culture. God would create this ethos, if you will, of the gospel. Where we are on a consistent basis practicing the biblical one another's, believing the truths of the gospel, that God would just birth in us this love for the gospel, that we would have two balances. Like I said a few weeks ago, we would have heat and we'd have light. Light. We'd have the strong theology that we're, that we're, that we're very serious about here at Emmanuel. But at the same time, we would have the zeal and the passion for Christ. And, and so truth, the power of God's word, and zeal and light, the passion that we have for Christ would come together in this balance of who it means to be a gospel-centered person. But yet there's still another one another. I left one one another for the last sermon, and I pray this morning that we bring it all together, that God motivates you, that God encourages you, that God challenges you to maybe put some, some feet to what we're talking about, that get the wheels on the ground. And so as we look in First Peter chapter four, verses 10 through 11, we see another, one another. Let us read together the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever amen so what's this final one another let us keep on continually on an ongoing basis serving one another now peter just tells us here that if you're a christian you got a gift and you are to use that gift to serve one another It's in this verb tense that we've looked at all along here with these one another's. It's a command to be obeyed on a continuous basis, ongoingly in your life as a lifestyle. Keep on continually serving one another. Now, what does it mean to serve one another? It's it's kind of a nebulous word, isn't it? To serve one another. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and oftentimes pastors will go up to church members and they'll ask the question, where are you serving in the church? And that may not be a very helpful question to ask. Where are you serving? Because what it does is it limits serving to a program. Basically what pastors mean is what program, what slot are you plugged into to keep this machinery rolling as the church? Where are you serving? Maybe a better question to ask would be this. How are we serving one another as the church? How are we serving one another? Now, it's important that there's aware because we need things to happen in the church, but I think it makes it a whole lot bigger when we think about how are we serving one another as the church? Because it's more than just what happens 24-7, I mean, it's more than what happens in the walls of this church for a program. If we are to be the church and serve one another, it's a 24-7 lifestyle where we're serving each other, not in the four walls of this church, but also out there. You see, there's two things. There's the church gathered, that's what we are this morning, the church gathered But then when we leave this place, we're the church scattered. And oftentimes, we limit serving to what happens within these four walls that we can see the church gathered, and that's important, but also the church scattered. How are we serving one another in our lives on a daily basis? Now, here's another question that people ask. It's actually theologically inaccurate. Here's the question that you hear all the time. Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? And we know what people mean by that, right? What's the sign on the front of the building where you go to church? Where do you go to church? Well, I go to Emanuel Baptist Church. That's where I go to church. Well, no, you go to a building that has a worship service at 1015, but you don't go to church. We are the church. The church is not something you go to. The church is the essence of who we are. We are the body of Christ. And so if we are called to be the body of Christ, and the gospel is to be central to everything that we are to do, and God calls us to practice these biblical one another's, and God says each of you have got a gift, use it to serve one another, then we've got to talk about this whole issue of giftedness and serving one another. And it's difficult territory when we start talking about spiritual gifts. There's not a lot in the scriptures about spiritual gifts, really. I mean, Peter and Paul both make the assumption that you got one, and you need to use it to serve one another generously. So maybe some questions you've asked before is, well, what is my spiritual gift? Do I even have a spiritual gift? What does mine look like? How is it to be used? And those are, those are excellent and legitimate questions that we should be asking as Christians. Now, in other places in Scripture, Paul gives a more detailed listing of gifts. But right here, Peter is pretty broad. But notice what he says here. As each has received a gift, he just assumes you have one. What's the main point? Use it to serve one another, and look at the word he says there: as good stewards of God's varied grace. We are to be good stewards of the giftings that God has given us through His grace. That word, good steward was used in that culture really of a household slave or a household servant who would take care of the affairs of the household. And so when you think about that word steward, it basically means that God has entrusted to you a portion of his property, a gift. And you are to use that as a good steward of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. That word varied there was used in the Old Testament to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. God's got a many-colored grace. It's like a diamond that has all these different facets shining out. God has a diversity of giftings and grace in the church, and we're to be good stewards of how God is operating in the church through our giftedness. And so God has made us to put on display His grace Through serving in our gifts. Now here's what often goes wrong when people start talking about spiritual gifts. I could lay a guilt trip on you this morning and say, go find your spiritual gift, use it, be well, be fed, leave this place and be all stressed out. What gift do I have? I'm going to root this in the gospel. And I'm going to ask a very important question about the cross for a moment. What did Jesus purchase on the cross? Well, Sean, that's an easy answer. He purchased my salvation. You're correct. Jesus absorbed God's wrath on the cross. Jesus died in my place on the cross. Jesus forgave me of my sins on the cross. Jesus purchased my my home in heaven on the cross. Yes, he did that. But is that all Jesus did on the cross? Did he just purchase for you your initial salvation, or did he purchase something beyond that? You see, I believe the Bible teaches not only did Jesus purchase your initial salvation, but Jesus purchased your spiritual gift. Jesus purchased your gifting Jesus purchased your service. And so part of what Jesus purchased on the cross was your gift for you to be used to serve the body of Christ. Now, where do we see this in Scripture, Sean? Because I've never heard this before. i always heard spiritual gifts. i never related them to the cross where Christ paid for my spiritual gift and gave me the spiritual gift through the cross. Well, Romans 8.32 says this. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all... How will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. What Paul does here is he ties the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, to God giving us all things. Now, what are these all things? What are these all things that God gives us to the cross? Does it mean that we have the ability to understand the intricacies of quantum physics? Does it mean that every Christian knows how to do a brain surgery? Does it mean that every Christian can jump like LeBron James and do a 360 dunk? What are these all things? Does it mean that, that Jesus has given us everything? What does it mean? Well, these all things that Jesus has given us through the cross, that he purchased through the cross, when he gave himself up on the cross, it goes back to what we saw last week in 2 Peter. 2 Peter one three. Listen to the wording that Paul uses Tied to what Peter uses. Here's 2 Peter 1 3. His divine power has granted to us what? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, what did Jesus purchase on the cross? All things. What does God give us through his divine power? all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, the things that we need to live the Christian life, the things that we need to serve God, Jesus purchased on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit has given those to us so that we can Serve. So your spiritual gift that God has given you, your service was purchased for you by Jesus on the cross. And so here's the implication of that. If you don't use your gifts, if you're not serving the way God has called you, you are downplaying the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross to purchase that gift for you. So I want to take a little brief detour this morning and I want us to go to Paul for a minute. We'll come back to Peter. But I want to see how Paul treats this issue of serving one another in the church with our gifts, so let's just look um, at First Corinthians chapter twelve. You may want to turn there. Keep your finger in First Peter. We'll look at First Corinthians chapter twelve. Let's just look at a few principles that he gives. First of all, in First Corinthians twelve four through seven, I think this one may be on your screen, but we'll get there in just a minute. First Corinthians twelve four through seven. Paul writes, "Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit." And there are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The first thing we see about spiritual gifts is that God gives them for the common good. God gives them for the building up of the church. So why do we have these gifts that God has given us? So that the body's built up. You're, you're, you're not to be using your gifts in pride or selfishness or jealousy or, or puffing yourself up or, or hoarding your gifts or lording your gifts over someone else. God has given the gifts in the church to each one of us for the growing up of the church, for the building up of the church, not for the building up of yourself, not to make much of yourself, not to draw attention to yourself, but so that the whole body can grow and mature. So number one is for the common good. It's for the good of everyone. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This tells us not only does the spiritual gifts come for the common good, but it also tells us the Holy Spirit is the one who gives them. So you don't have a choice over which gift you get. The Holy Spirit says you're going to get the gift that you're going to get. I'm in charge of that. He gives the gifts as he sees fit. Now, I don't have time to go into a a long teaching on all the gifts. The best thing I would tell you is to go to Romans chapter 12, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go to Ephesians chapter 4, and go to 1 Peter here, and read up on what these gifts are. Paul gives a more extensive list in some of these chapters. And so this leads to another important question. If the gifts have been given for the common good and the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, then the question we've got to ask is, well, how do we function? How do we function as the body with these gifts? What's a weird thing would happen if you walked out of this uh, room today and you saw a person walking down the street with just a body and no head? Would you freak out? Or if you saw a head and no body, we'd say, there's something wrong there. That ain't right. Where I come from, I had a friend in Alabama, and he said that ain't right. If you see somebody walking around without, without, with with just a head and no body, well, who's the head of the church? Christ, and Christ has a body, the church. But in our normal bodies, if our bodies aren't functioning the way that God has called them to function, there's something wrong. And so Paul makes an analogy here to the human body, saying if the human body's acting weird. Then the, then, the, then the church body acts weird if not everybody's working within their giftedness. So let's look here real quick at First Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at verse 12 and following. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ... For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Both Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, just look right there. What he's saying is that we're all baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized. This is talking about a spiritual baptism. God has, has baptized us into the church. We are spiritually connected with Christ as our head. We are interconnected one another in the church. We've been baptized into one body. And then in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. yet one body. He's saying here in verses 14 through um, and following that there's a diversity, that God has arranged the body together, that God has given us this church where everyone's to be functioning, and if the eye is doing not what the eye is supposed to do and the, and the hand's not doing what the hand's supposed to do and they're, they're in competition or there's just, just your body's just this one big head like Mr. Potato Head or something, it would be really weird. That's what Paul's saying here. But notice what he says in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now go down to verse 26. Actually, verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. This is very important, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What Paul's saying here is that we need each other. We desperately need each other. There should be no jealousy. There should be no pride. We should be so interconnected as the body of Christ that if one person suffers... We all feel it. We all suffer. If one person is honored, if one person rejoices, we all rejoice. We are so interconnected. We are so intertwined. We are so much in each other's lives as the body of Christ that we know what's going on and we rejoice and we mourn. Now, the church is an organization, right? You need organization. You need, you need structures. You need leaders. You need um, a constitution. You need, you need all the, the structures that, that, that make a church an organization. But also the church is an organism. It's something that grows. And here's what happens oftentimes in the church. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You may see that in your own organization at work. There's always that small core of people that end up doing the bulk of the work. They take up the slack on, on, on everything. And so it's safe to say this, and it may be painful to hear. I think I stepped on some toes last week. Well, I'll keep on doing that this week. And I think my phrase last week was, get over it. This week, we'll just get over it. Um, if, you're not, if you're not using your gifts to serve the body of Christ, you're being disobedient. You're not being what God has called you to do. Now, don't get mad at me at this point for saying what the Bible says because here's what a lot of you are probably thinking. Sean's just told me I'm disobedient. Wow. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, you may be thinking I don't I don't even know I have a gift. And how do I discover my gift? And, and what is my gift? And, and how am I supposed to use my gift? I don't I don't want to be disobedient to God. And so how do I discover my gift? How do I use my gift? How do I serve? Well, let me just answer the question very practically this morning. Let me give you seven things how do you discover your your gift? I'm not going to give you a spiritual gift inventory. Let me just give you a side note. I'm not against those spiritual gift inventories, but those are man-made documents that have only been around for the past 30 years. What did the church do for the first 1,900 years before those spiritual gift inventories? Uh, they didn't have those. So let me just give you some practical wisdom on how to discover your gifts. First of all, here's the first one. Just study the gifts. Study the gifts in Scripture. Go through 1 Corinthians 12. Go through Romans 12. Go through Ephesians chapter 4. Go through 1 Peter 4 and just study the gifts and look and see what they are. Number two, spend time in prayer. Ask God to show you what these gifts mean. Ask God to show you maybe what gift you have. Ask God to to soften your heart to see where he might be leading you. So so study the gifts, pray. And then thirdly, it's real practical. Ask God or ask yourself, what do I like to do? Oftentimes, your spiritual gift is tied to a passion that you have. What am I passionate about? What do I like to do? What jazzes me? What energizes me? What do I really like to do? Okay, fourth question. Not only what do I like to do, but what am I good at? What am I good at? I think sometimes God wires some natural talents in with a spiritual gift so that there's that gift mix to where we work within what we're good at. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, these spiritual gifts are supernatural and God gives them to us when we become a Christian, but I think also they're tied to. Excuse me. <clears throat> wow, that was loud. What am I good at? Okay, so study the gifts, pray. What do I like to do? What am I good at? Here's the fifth one. Look for opportunities to serve, be on the lookout, and then jump in. Don't wait for someone to come and ask you. Look and say, where's the need? How can I serve? And then just jump in. Okay, and as you do that, number six is, as you jump in and you start looking, look for signs of, of confirmation. Are you enjoying it? Is God blessing it? Are people, um, are people responding? Do other people uh, say things to you about your giftingness? Do, you, do you see God's confirmation that that's where you're supposed to be? Or are you frustrated? Are, are you not seeing any fruit? Is God blessing it? And then seventhly, seek the wisdom of other Christians. Oftentimes, other Christians will see your giftedness before you see it. So, so go to people you trust and just say, You know what? You've seen me. What do you think my gift is? Oftentimes others will see those giftings in you. So go to a wise Christian that sees those. Now, oftentimes I'll talk to my dad who's a pastor about spiritual gifts and he'll talk to me about the spaghetti principle. Some of you have heard about the spaghetti principle, right? How do you know spaghetti's done? You throw it up against the ceiling and if it's done, it sticks, right? That's the spaghetti principle. If it's done, it sticks. He says this is often how spiritual gifts work. You just do them you just serve. And and you may have to try a bunch of different things, but then eventually it's going to stick. And whatever that one that sticks, that's probably the gift that God has given you. So just do it. Now here's the issue in Scripture. This is where it gets difficult. Nowhere in Scripture do Peter or Paul or any of the writers tell you how to discover your spiritual gift. They don't say, Okay, go take a 30-question spiritual gift inventory, fill in the blank, and afterwards let the pastor tell you what your spiritual gift is. They don't tell you how to do it. What do they assume? They assume that you have one, that you know what it is, and that you are to use it. So here's what I'm saying. How did Christians for thousands of years before spiritual gift inventories serve? They saw a need... They had their eyes open, they prayed, they searched the scriptures, they took the wisdom of other believers, and they just jumped in and began serving. Here's what I see a lot of times in churches. When you start talking about spiritual gifts, everybody gets stressed out about what gift they have. Well, I may have this gift, I may have that gift, I need to take the spiritual gift inventory. They get all stressed out about gifts, they wonder what gift they have, they're all stressed out and they fail to do the one thing the Bible tells us to do. What's the one thing the Bible tells us to do? Serve. So you're all wrapped up in which gift you have, and you forget to serve. Just jump in and see a need and serve, and you may have to try a bunch of different things, but eventually the spaghetti principle will happen. It'll stick and God will confirm what your gift is. Don't be so stressed out about what your gift is that you fail to serve. Because oftentimes in the serving, you will discover what your gift is, but a lot of people wait around to discover what their gift is before they serve. And if you do that, you're going to be waiting around for a long time. Now back to 1 Peter. Peter gives a broad list of giftings. He doesn't give a lot of details. He basically gives two overarching gifts. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Notice what he says in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So speaking gifts, serving gifts. Two broad overarching categories. What are the speaking gifts? Well, the speaking gifts are often those things that involve teaching, teaching, Preaching, exhorting, counseling, talking. And it's not just like a conversation, but it's more like in the ministry of the church. And he's supposed to speak, whenever you speak, speak the oracles of God. Now, what in the world does it mean to speak the oracles of God? It means this. In the church, in the life of the church, if you're a teacher, if you're a preacher, if you're a counselor, you don't speak your own opinion. You don't come up with your own clever ideas. You don't come up with whatever you think is cool. You come up with, or don't come up with, you obey what the Scripture says. You speak the Scriptures. And so when I stand up to preach, and you guys have been here long enough, we talk about the Scriptures. We talk about the oracles of God as revealed in the Scriptures. And so if you're teaching children or you're teaching youth, The question you've got to ask is, am I spending time in this word so I know what this word says so that when I come and teach a class or when I come and teach a small group Bible study or when I teach preschoolers, that I'm not just giving them my opinion, but I'm giving them the very word of God. If you're a growth group leader, are you just teaching a curriculum? Are you just teaching a little book study? Or are you teaching the word of God from the overflow of what God has done in your own heart? I think the the occupational hazard of teaching is oftentimes we want to teach a curriculum. We don't teach people the Bible from the overflow of what God's doing in our own hearts. And so when we come with the oracles of God, first God has given us a message through his word, and then we give that message to our students because God has birthed that message in our hearts through our study of the scriptures. So whether you're a men's teacher Club 45, Team Kid, Youth, Adult Growth Group, Ladies Bible Study, any type of teaching or speaking group, you need to be immersed in the scriptures so that when you speak, you're speaking the very oracles of God. You're speaking this word, not your opinion, not the latest and greatest fad, not what you think people want to hear, but you are giving them the unadulterated truth of God's word. Now, there's an occupational hazard in being a teacher. There is an occupational hazard in being a teacher. James 3.1 says this. So maybe you need to think twice before you do this. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So if you can avoid any other gift, don't be a teacher. Just saying. You're going to be judged more strictly. If God calls you and gifts you with that, realize that's the occupational hazard of being a teacher. You will be judged more strictly in how you handle the very oracles of God in your teaching, speaking ministry. Now, that's the big broad category. That can encompass any type of speaking gifts. Those are the the gifts we often look at that are more up front, right? Teaching, preaching, encouraging, the speaking gifts. But, But Peter gives a second broad category here. Notice what he says. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, oftentimes the serving gifts are overlooked in church because the upfront gifts are the speaking gifts. That word serve literally means to wait on tables, to take care of the household needs by waiting on tables. And it was interesting because in that culture of the first century, it was really deemed unworthy for a free person to wait on tables. That was the lowest of the low to do that. It was only considered for slaves to do that. Now, really, here's the issue. Just because the Bible says there's a spiritual gift of serving doesn't mean that we all need to serve. We all need to have the attitude and adopt the attitude that we're going to serve one another with humility. Serve one another. It's not glamorous. Oftentimes, no one sees those who do the serving gifts. I can think of many who serve who are never known they're never seen. They're not up front preaching. They're not up front teaching. They're not on the praise team. Their gifts aren't that visible. And oftentimes you wonder, well, oh, am I really making a difference if nobody sees what I'm doing? If I'm just serving, do I am I really making a difference? And I would say, yes, you are. You are just as important. What did Paul say? Every part is just important. Think about a worship service on Sunday morning. It goes into a worship service, just for an example. Most of what you see when you come in here is two things, right? You see me, and you see the praise team. And that's kind of sad at times that that's all that, that, that happens that you see is, okay, it's the people up front, those that are talking, those that are singing, those that are speaking. But we could not do this if it weren't for those in the back that are doing the sound, that are doing the video, that are doing the lighting, that are doing the PowerPoint. We couldn't do this if we didn't have the ladies in the office who put the bulletins together, who put the PowerPoints together. We couldn't do this if there weren't the greeters that greeted you in the morning as you came in. We couldn't do this if there weren't people working back with your children right now so they don't have to listen to a boring sermon by a guy ranting up here. We couldn't do this if we didn't have team kid and and Sunday school we couldn't do this if you didn't invite somebody here you see there's a lot that just goes into a worship service but all we see is the the pastor up front preaching and we think that's that's the giftedness no all of us work together to serve the body of Christ and you may never see the people that are behind the scenes those that clean the bathrooms to make sure that it's a comfortable place for you to come that vacuum the floors there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes and everything is important and that's just one example and you may be thinking, well, I'm doing these things, but nobody ever sees what I'm doing. Guess what? God sees you, and God knows about it, and God is pleased. But I want you to notice something from this passage. This is where the gospel comes into play. This is where we get the hope of the gospel. Notice what, how, how it keeps going. Whoever serves is one who serves, how? By the strength that God supplies. God supplies the strength. Now that word supply is an interesting word. It was often used in that ancient culture of a benefactor that would basically put an upfront cost for a, for a choir or for a drama or for a play. He would basically get, just pay for the whole thing upfront. And it eventually came to mean to richly supply. And so what it's saying here is that God richly supplies us with the strength to be able to serve one another. God does it at his own expense. The power is there in the gospel for us to serve and to work in our giftedness. It's not up to ourselves. We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't try in our own power. God supplies the power for us to be able to use our giftedness. And let me just draw this to an um, uh, apex here as we think about this passage of Scripture. We often talk about this a lot around here at Emmanuel. What's the chief end of man? Why do we exist? What's the purpose for which we were created? It's to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. It's all about God's glory. So let me just ask you a question. Based upon the context of what we've looked at over the past three weeks, loving one another, serving one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, what glorifies God when we do this on a consistent basis? What does not glorify God when we don't do this? Let Peter answer the question for us. How does he finish this verse? Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that. Okay, here's the bottom line. Peter's telling us in order that. Here's the reason why. That in everything, God may be what? Glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. So when we work within our giftedness, when we serve one another, when we love one another, when we encourage one another, when we do all these one another's, the bottom line is this. It brings glory to God. And that's the bottom line. God's glory. So I want to challenge you this morning to make some real commitments. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at these biblical one-anothers. Let me just review them for you. And these are all continuous actions that we're commanded to do. Love one another. Welcome or accept one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Forgive one another encourage or comfort one another, pray for one another, and this morning we looked at serve one another. So I'm going to ask you to do something very tangible. Some of you may not, have, may not take notes during my sermon, that's fine. On your bulletin on the back, there's a note-taking sheet. Get out a piece of paper or get out a pen, but I want to ask you to make some concrete, tangible commitments this morning. When you leave this place, to write these things down so that you'll remember it. And I pray that God would motivate you in one of these areas. Not that you have to do every single one of these things I'm asking you to do, but maybe one of the things that I say this morning, and I challenge you, it will jog your mind. God will will speak through the Holy Spirit to your heart about something that you need to do tangibly as you leave this place this week to put some wheels on this thing. The last thing we want to have happen is, is to talk about these one another's up here in the sky and not put wheels on them to not put the rubber where it meets the road. We want to put these into practice. And you can't put these into practice unless you you think about intentional ways that you're going to do that. So here's the first question. Is there someone in your life, and not all of these you may need to answer, maybe just one of these you answered, but is there someone in your life right now that you need to love more deeply? How are you going to go about doing that this week in God's power? How are you going to show love to someone that God is leading you to show love to more deeply. How are you going to go about doing that? Okay, what's the next one? Welcoming or accepting one another. Do you know of someone in your life or someone in this church or someone that God has put upon your heart that you need to welcome, that you need to accept, that you need to go the extra mile and just uh, reach out to them, draw them aside in a conversation? Is there someone you know that needs welcoming, that needs accepting? What are you going to do about it this week? Okay, next question. Is there someone you know who's carrying a huge burden? They have a huge burden They're carrying that burden. They're not meant to carry that burden on their own. How can you go carry and bear that other person's burden? I don't know how God's going to call you to do that, but what practical steps are you going to take this week to go bear the burden of someone in your life that you know needs help? Here's a hard one. What about forgiveness? Is there someone in your life right now that you have not forgiven? You're still bitter. You still harbor resentment you haven't fully forgiven them and remember what i said last week it's not about just saying that's okay have you truly forgiven them what steps are you going to take towards moving towards forgiving that person what about encouragement Do you know someone that needs encouragement this week they just need an encouragement they need comfort how are you going to personally encourage someone what about prayer is there someone you know who needs prayer and don't just say i'm going to pray for you and walk off remember we talked about last week are you going to pray with them Maybe you need to call someone up and pray with them over the phone. Maybe you need to take someone out to coffee and say, you know what? God just laid you on my heart. I need to be praying for you. How are you going to do that? And then serve. How are you going to serve each other? Now, this could mean serving here at Emmanuel in a capacity, in in a specific ministry within the four walls of this church, or it could mean serving someone outside there, but any way that God calls you to serve one another. How are you practically going to do that this week? And here's the bottom line. I don't want you going out of here thinking that it's all in my power to do this. I've got to write this list and I've got to do this. I'm going to feel real guilty if I don't do this, and I've got all my ducks in a row, and I've got to, I've got to go out of here and do this stuff. Listen to the words of Peter again. Verse 10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God supplies you the strength to do this. God has given you all things in Christ to do this. Christ has purchased this on the cross for you to do this. And now he's expecting you in light of that to go do it in his power and by his grace. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And maybe you just need to think through.